All right, so our next speaker is Mike Warman. He started a church. Don't come up quite yet, but you can stand over here, Mike. That's all right. He's itching to get up here. <clears throat> I told him to break a leg earlier, and he kind of took me literally. No. <laughs> uh, he started a, a church plant with 15 other families um, planted by Grace Community Chapel. He is the pastor of Stonebridge Community Church. He's been married for 35 years. Yeah. Right. Has four children. Uh, Mike and I met uh, at a, my oldest son Logan's basketball uh, tournament a couple years ago. He was in the the room where they have like food for the refs, and then I was with my father-in-law, and they ha- they were honoring the veterans. So I was back there um, with my father-in-law, and I introduced, or maybe Mike introduced himself to me, and um, he said that he did refereeing. Uh, for stress relief. And I was like, what do you do for a living? And he's like, a pastor. I'm like, I understand. <laughs> if you can pastor, that referee's like a piece of cake, you know. Anyway, I, uh, Mike and I are, are uh, a part of a, a group of pastors that get together each month and kind of talk about different ideas. And, and Mike and I have just had some even one-on-one phone call conversations. He's been an encouragement to me, and I've appreciated those conversations. So Please give it up to Pastor Mike Warman. There we go. Is that better? That's better. Any players for the Patriots here? Any Patriots? You guys show up tonight? Knights. No, no. Knights. Patriots. Blue Knights. Blue Knights. What's that? The Blue Knights. Remember? That's basketball. I thought Patriots was a baseball team. Oh, there. Are, that is baseball. Right here. The guy's got the hat on, man. That's yeah, right. there I'm we just go. saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had the Patriots out at, where were you guys at? You guys were out beating on Winfield, out on the Winfield Warriors, and mercy them pretty good. So, For baseball? In baseball. Oh, I didn't know you yeah. ref baseball. Oh, yeah, I don't play baseball. Yeah, that's because it's, I got to find something year-round. This pastor and stuff will drive you crazy if that's all you do, man. Hey, so, uh, true story, little Jenna is six years old, and she's home on um, Sunday afternoon. It's 1230. Mom's getting uh food ready, and they're all gathered around the table like you are there. And um, making some small talk, and uh, Jenna looks at her dad and says, uh, Daddy, can I ask you a question? Sure, honey, whatever. Um, Daddy, I know that, um, I noticed that, you know, before you go to speak on Sunday, Jenna's dad's a pastor, um, that you always, you bow your head. And there's like this pause there. Um, what are you doing? And um, dad's kind of pleased that his daughter noticed and says, well, honey, I'm, I'm praying. I'm just taking a moment and I'm asking God to help me be an encouragement to the people and that, that they would listen well and they, they just go, God would use me. There's another little pause there. And Jenna, as only a six-year-old can do, looks at her dad and says, well, daddy, why doesn't God hear you? So what I want to say to you is if I notice that your head is sort of leaning forward and there's a pause, I'm just going to believe that you're praying for me, and I genuinely will appreciate that. Um, Hey, I want to pick up on this theme that Mike opened the conference with uh, on on unity, but maybe, um, maybe look at a passage that you wouldn't necessarily think of it in that light. Um, Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark? the 11th chapter, and as you're turning there, if it's your app or your 
Bible, whatever you've got. I want to set the setting for you. Um, I want to ask you this question, first of all. If, uh, if you knew, I think it's there in your notes, I've got it. Um, what would you do if you knew the king was for you? What would you do if you knew that the king was for you? I think sometimes when it comes to topics and things that happen to us in life, we sort of, um, we maybe think that's too big, too hard. God can't do that. Um, I, just, I, I want my brain to just try and get, get around the concept. What, what would I do maybe if I knew that God was for me? What would I do if God was for you? What, what would you do, right? Um, story is told, not story, it was in the movie Pearl Harbor. Um, and uh, there's a, a scene that after Pearl Harbor's been attacked, uh, President Roosevelt is meeting with his officers, um, all his leaders in the military there, and um, he's asking them, what can we do? You know, we, this demands a response. We've got to respond. We can't sit on this. And they're all looking at each other, and they're, they're one after another. They, um, they are giving Roosevelt reasons why they cannot strike back right now. It's going to take some time. We don't have a way to, a place to launch our bombers. Um, one guy says, we're not even sure we could get our bombers there. Um, and one after another, they've got reasons why we can't do anything. Um, president asked the head of the Navy for his opinion. Um, the admiral's cautious. Again, the president's disappointed. He's frustrated now. He said, Gentlemen, most of you did not know me when I had the use of my legs. If you didn't know, Roosevelt at this point is in a wheelchair. He said, I was young and proud and arrogant. Now I wonder every hour of my life why God put me in this chair. But when I see defeat in the eyes of my countrymen, in your eyes right now, I start to think that maybe he brought me down for times like these when we all need to be reminded who we are and that we will not give up or give in. This is that point... A decorated general speaks up and says, Mr. President, with all due respect, what you're asking for cannot be done. And then there's this pause. And Roosevelt, without any help from his aides, begins to rise from his chair. And he struggles. And he puts all his weight on that table. But he gets up from the chair that he spends most of his time in because he can't walk and have use of his legs. And then he looks at all of his generals and he says, don't tell me what can't be done. What would you do if you knew the king was for you? Or would we sit here with one another and tell us why we believe God can't do what maybe he's put on our hearts? Mark chapter 11, are you there? It's the story of when Jesus entered Jerusalem. It is Palm Sunday, is what you have there at the beginning of the chapter. And uh, Jesus is entering, and we know that the branches, and it's the waving, and it's Hosanna, 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 as it says there in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You probably have seen the enactments, right? Hosanna simply means, Lord, save us. Lord, deliver us. 
And it's interesting to think about this, that what the people were asking for that day was not salvation in the sense of being right with God. That's not what the primary cry of Hosanna was. It was they were under Roman rule. They were being oppressed by the enemy. They weren't their own people. I don't know. It's tough for us to get our arms around that because I don't think many of us have ever had to live with someone else having their thumb on us. The closest it might be is if you were in a bad relationship. If you've ever been in a bad relationship and you feel like they're watching you, they've got their thumb on you, you can't do anything. If you've ever been in an abusive relationship, it would be the same way. Maybe it's a work scenario where you feel like, I just got no outs. I got no help. And you're crying, Hosanna, somebody rescue me. But you're not crying for anything of the heart and being right with God. You just want to get out of your situation. And so now the Messiah comes, right? So we read here. Jesus, verse 11, entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. That's what I think makes this story so interesting to me, friends, is that they wanted Jesus to go down the street to the Roman barracks. They wanted Jesus to throw off Rome. They wanted to be free from the enemy. Jesus is going to come deliver us. And he's stopping at the place that they all would have gathered, the temple. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit, and when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him. The next day, Jesus goes out, and he encounters a fig tree. And what was he expecting? Well, we see there, the, the text reads in the English that it wasn't the season for figs, but what you actually did have was a tree similar to this where there would have been leaves on the tree which would have indicated to you that there should be some measure of fruit or life or something here. And Jesus went to look for a, a fig. Not a fully ripe fig. They were called nibs, but there would have been something there. He was hungry. He went to a place as. Uh, Mike said, hey, you'd rather have figs than thistles, right? Yeah, so he'd rather have a, a fig than a thistle, and yet he gets to this tree which is sort of got leaves on it, and you would expect to find life, but there's no life. And he curses it. He says, may no one ever eat from you again. Kind of interesting. There's only two times in the Gospels that Jesus ever does what something uh, some have called destructive. Um, you think of when the other time might be? Remember the time when he cast the demon into the pigs? And they ran off the cliff and then went that guy's crop. Um, and then I love what somebody said. It's like, he it was sort of like we would criticize Jesus for doing that, but we'd have no problem killing that pig and grinding it up and eating the sausage ourselves, right? <laughs> There's no figs. And I think what Jesus is doing in cursing the fig tree is he's setting the stage of a living parable. Jesus used a lot of word parables. This is going to be a living parable. It's one that we already noted. The disciples heard him. 
They heard him. May no one ever eat from you again. You're done. You've got the appearance of something here, but there's no life in it. You look good on the outside, but there's nothing going on inside. Ain't gonna, anybody ever going to pull anything from you again. I'm sure the guys are all going, well, what's up with that? On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, uh, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. He's going to confront the enemy. He's going to the enemy. It's just not who they were thinking. See, we're the good guys. Aren't we? We're the good Jewish people in the temple. We're the lovers of God, right? That's why we're in the temple, right? Jesus needs to go talk to the Romans. He needs to tell them to pack up and get out. But he comes to us. What if he were to come to your church? What if he were to come to my church? What might he say? In this situation, he goes to the temple. And he says, hey, knock it off. Have you, ever, have you seen any of the video clips? When I taught this passage uh, at Stonebridge, um, man, Mike, if I break anything, I'm going to buy it, all right? I just want you to know that. But you need to get the effect, because I think we do this. We sit in our comfortable chairs in our comfortable churches, and we don't really appreciate what was going on. So when I taught this at Stonebridge, I had a table, and I had it packed with silver and gold coins. And I said, when Jesus went into the temple, he said, what's going on? It wasn't like, hey, man, what's going on? What do you think? What's going on? Why are you people doing this? And you don't think he had people's attention? All those people that were exchanging money was called uh, Anna's Bazaar, if I'm not mistaken. Anna would have been the chief priest in, in Jesus' day. What, this, uh, uh, what was called the court of the Gentiles had become a place where the high priest had set up shop. And so here's the deal. Um, to go to the temple to worship God, you needed to pay a temple tax. But you know what? Your money wasn't going to be good enough. You were going to have to exchange your money for the right kind of currency. And you might bring a sacrifice. In fact, it says here that Jesus turned over those or had the doves or let them loose. That would have been the poorest sacrifice. And so you might have traveled with a dove, but that had been a little tough, right? Maybe you've traveled with a goat. You could haul that thing along, right? Um, or a lamb. But you know what? The funny thing was, whatever your sacrifice was when you went to the temple wasn't going to be good enough. We were going to find something wrong with it, but don't worry. Don't worry. We've got other lambs. We've got other doves that you can buy here. You're just going to upcharge. We're, we're going to, you know, but, but you're good, right? And, you know, I've thought to myself, why would well-meaning people, I'm going to give them a benefit of a doubt, why would well-meaning people spend more than what's value uh, to get something? 
I just thought, that, 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 those are just backwards people. Come on, right? I mean, because we're all smarter than that, right? <laughs> Last time you went to a Cardinals game, you paid five bucks for a Coke. Yeah. Last time you paid whatever for an adult beverage or a pretzel. Man, we fall into the same trap. Because we want it. We want to believe that that's right. That's what we got to do. So you've got people that were coming to the temple. And the court of the Gentiles, to me, is just a fascinating place. It's really, really cool. If you look at Isaiah 56, um, we find there that God said from the beginning to his people, look, from every tribe and nation, if there's a foreigner that comes that wants to seek me, he should have a place there. And so the court of the Gentiles was the place for the non-Jewish people, which would have been every one of us, unless you're a Jew, Jewish descent this evening, we're a Gentile, that's where we would have gone to seek God. You would have gone there wondering what? Is God real? Can God help me? I hear, I hear, I hear these things, I hear these stories, I wonder if it's true, I, I don't know. I, but they say go to the temple. And you go to the temple, but you can't get in and you really can't find a quiet place to worship God or pray or look at the Old Testament scriptures because there's all this buying and selling. And, and it actually, they, it had become a spot where if you were on one side of the, the temple in the city and you wanted to get to the other side, instead of walking around, you just would walk right on through the court of the Gentiles. It was sort of like a, a throwaway. And Jesus comes to this place that is meant for people to find God Think about that. The whole point was for us, the Gentile, the people who were far from God but now had an interest, an inkling, a wondering, is this, could it be real? This was to be our place. But it had become a marketplace. It had become, as Jesus said, why have you made it a den of robbers? Why are the people most home here the ones ripping people off? And he throws over the chairs and the coins scattered and the doves are cut loose and I have no doubt he kicked the lambs. He says, this is nonsense, this is crazy. You know why? Because my house was going to be a house of prayer for all the people. This church is to be a place where people can find God. That's what we are. We have largely become an insulated and isolated group. That if you don't talk like I do, think like I do, worship like I do, well, there's a door. And I think if you can't picture what I think the text say, Overtain the things. Um, he threw them out. It's a word that means to chase. It means to cast out. It, he drove them out. Because I think it grieved his heart that the place that was supposed to be for people had become about the, the place for people to connect with God had become everything else but. Which goes back to the tree. What was the whole point of the tree? It looks like it should have life. It looks like there should be fruit there. 
It looks like there should be something satisfying that can nurture me, that can feed me. That's what it looks like. But it's not. It's fake. Jesus went to the temple. It looks like it's supposed to have life. There's sacrifices going on. There's people coming and going. It looks like there's supposed to be something good happening there. But it's fake. There's no life there. I love your pastor. I do. I mean, he's a friend. We've had great conversations. I don't know much about your church like you do mine. So I'm just going to speak of the pastor's heart to any church. There ought to be more than the appearance of life. There ought to be genuine things that happen at liberty that welcome the foreigner, that invite him in, that help the foreigner that might walk in your presence find God. But that's not always the case. Not true in my place. And as I said, I don't know here. But I know enough of having done what I've done for a long time that this is all too common. And what I want to now nail down through this passage is two or three things that I think we can think about that will help us determine are we on the right path? Are we seeing the right things? You've made it a den of robbers, a place where thieves hang out. That's what the temple had become. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. That's incredible. He had come. He said... I want this to be a place where people can connect with God, where they can pray, where they can seek God, where they can read the scriptures, where they can worship God. He called a spade a spade, and they didn't like it. And they got agitated, and it says here they began to, you know why? Because he threatened them. And I promise you this, that any time that my life and my words don't line up with the word of God, Jesus becomes a threat. And I don't know if he's a threat to you this evening. Your soul right now is doing some interesting things based on what I've just laid out for you. Jesus welcomes, wants the person who wants to seek him. The person who wants to play games and look the part He's got a curse for. Which camp would you be in? You look good? You play games well? Or is there a heart that wants to seek after God and wants to do whatever it can to help others find what you've found? So how do I get there? Well, there's a couple of interesting things here. So the passage goes on. Uh, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree. <laughs> they saw the fig tree. Peter, ever the observant one, remembered, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree is withering. I have in my notes here, he was surprised. Do you ever get surprised when God does something he said he was going to do? Oh, come on, be honest. Does that ever make you laugh? 
Does it ever make you go, okay, I didn't see that one coming? How about the person who says, I'll never darken the doors of a church? And they come. You ever go, didn't see that one coming? How about the marriage that was busted up and messed up? And they began to speak to one another again. And maybe there become signs of hope. And you say to yourself, I thought they were through. What about the wayward son or daughter that had given up on God? And you've been praying for a long time. And just got a call. Hey, you going to church tomorrow? Can I come with you? I didn't see that one coming. Peter is honestly surprised that the tree did what Jesus said it was going to do. And so he says, the Lord says, have faith in God, Jesus said. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Those people who will move mountains. By the way, I want to say this. I don't believe at all for a moment there's a teaching out there that is just like name it and claim it. Jesus said, whatever you name No, let's just understand that what Jesus meant when he talked about moving mountains were obstacles. Jesus never moved a mountain that I'm aware of. He moved a rock once. But I don't think he ever moved any mountain. said, hey, go, right? So he's talking about those big hurdles, those obstacles that come into our world. And it's not about, <laughs> Lord, would you help me win the lotto? <laughs> Dear Jesus, I just need some money. You know what I think Jesus might say to you? Learn to budget and know where your money that you have is going. Right? But I do believe that there are huge things that come into our world that I want us to see that when Jesus said, hey, ask, because your Father knows. Believe. All right. If I want to move mountains, I want to really see God do some stuff in my church, in my life. What needs to happen? I'll give you three quick things. You've got to remove the obstacles. You've got to get rid of the clutter. That was their problem. The place that was meant for people to meet with God had become a place of business. The place where people were supposed to come and be able to pray and pour out their heart to God or maybe have a discussion about, is God real? Or can you tell me how God is at work? Can you, can you just show me that the Lord our God is one? I mean, that's all they would have had, right? The Old Testament scriptures. Can you help me with that? Had become anything else but that. Because other things had become more important, i.e., namely making money, running a business, having a profit, had become more important than helping people find God. What the clutter? What's the obstacles that we face? You know, I mean, I don't go to the temple. haven't been there any time recently. I was thinking about this with my church. Um, I think some personal obstacles that you may face is you just got the wrong priorities. 
I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm not slamming anybody. You just want the wrong things. You want to promote yourself? You want your prayers are self-centered? It's been a long time since you've been praying for someone else. Most of us don't even know anybody, honestly, that is outside the faith that we're praying for. We've been so inoculated in the church that we don't have anybody that we're asking God to rescue. Some of us do. But I just think that, you know, the wrong things have taken over. Um, I think sin gets in the way. I think there are things that you know that if you could just have an honest conversation with Jesus, he might put his finger on. And you know what? I'm as human as the next guy. And I, I, I'm just honest. I, like, Okay, so I know it. I know it. I don't want to do anything about it. Most marriages that are in trouble are not in trouble because people are stupid and ignorant. They're, uh, they're in trouble because people are selfish and self-centered and want their way and won't at all wonder, concede, huh, is there another point of view? Most disunity in churches occurs when churches say, hey, we, we, we just can't see our way to another point of view. And there are people out there with other points of view. Could you worship from your heart next to somebody who voted differently than you? If you knew they voted the opposite ticket you did, would you be able to worship with them? Or would you cast them off? Would they be liberal or conservative? You know, it was interesting. I had a board meeting just a week ago. Uh, we have two services at Stonebridge. We have a masked service at 9 for those that want to wear a mask. And at 1030, we call it mask optional. If you want to wear a mask, you can, but you don't have to. I'm in an elder meeting just two weeks ago, and we were talking about uh, the criticism that we have two churches. And I said, really? I said, talk to me, guys. What do you hear? You know what one of my elders said? That he heard it said that we have a liberal church and a conservative church. And I said, really, talk to me. Come on, tell me, tell me. He said, those who wear masks are considered liberal. Those who won't wear a mask are considered conservative. And there's our problem. Is it? Is that really it? Would you worship? I mean, what about our words? The words we use in church sometimes, I think, are obstacles for people seeking God. What about our attitudes towards those who are not in the church? Something as a pastor, I'm always asking myself, is everybody really welcome at my church? Is there anybody who wouldn't be welcome? I don't know. I don't know you guys. I don't. I just know that we've got a couple that's been coming for a little bit of time now, and they've got different color hair. And they've got a few tattoos. And um, one of the things they said to one of our greeters here recently was that they have been kicked out of and asked not to attend more than a few churches in the area. I'm trying to figure out why. Because their hair is different? Shoot. Oh, come on, right? Because they got tattoos? 
because they're a little rough around the edges? Isn't that what the temple was designed for, the foreigner? The person who didn't have it all together? The person who was trying to find God because they didn't have it, everything dotted just right and crossed just right and didn't have all their theology together? Wasn't that what the temple was for? This makes me wonder, man. Make myself a note here that says, when we tend to see people as the problem, Jesus says they are the priority. When we see people as the problem, Jesus says they are the priority. Come on, you guys are smarter than I am. Help me with this. Jesus, Jesus, help us. Help us understand. There's a lot of bunch of commands, maybe. I don't know. Jesus, just a bunch of what? Jesus, boil it down for us. We're simple people. Help us understand. What's the greatest commandments? And? Love your neighbors yourself. It doesn't get any more complicated than that, friends. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Everything else falls in line with that. We've got to come to a spot where we're willing to get rid of the obstacles, drive them out if it were, cast them out, get them out of our lives, get them out of our churches. Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you liberty? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You know, I got some pushback as I talked to our church. So I just use our church. I got some pushback as I tried to say to our church, you know what? We have brothers and sisters of color who have been oppressed. Their beef is legit. I've heard stories of here in O'Fallon, in Lake St. Louis, of people being pulled over for no other reason than they deduce is the color of their skin. That is wrong. And the church has got to stand up for that. Would this church worship with a church in another part of the city who maybe voted differently than you, maybe sees the world differently than you, but you know what? You love Jesus together, don't you? Would you worship with them? They might use a different Bible than yours. They might sing more enthusiastically than you do. Their choir might be a little larger than yours. Just get rid of the obstacles. I made myself a note. We either make rules to exclude people or we remove the barriers to include them. What will liberty do? Got to lean on God. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Peter, why are you amazed at this? Have faith in God. Um, we have in the church largely made have faith in God to be an intellectual thing. Do you believe Jesus? Oh, come on. This is a church, man. There's no way no one's going to put their hand up. Oh, not me. Have faith in God. Believe in Jesus. There is a, uh, there's a knowledge component. You've got to know who he is, what he said, who he was. I look at the scriptures. Maybe there are other resources out there. I'm trying to make up my mind. Who's Jesus? At the end of the day, Jesus said that he was the son of God. Pastor Mike reminded us in John 17 that Jesus said that I am in you, Father. You are in me. Um, That eternal life is that we might know God and his son, Jesus. Is that true or not? And see, that's a knowledge point. But at some point, here's what you got to do. 
Young man with the Patriot hat, come here, please. I'm about to make you famous if you do this right. Come over here. Please, please, come, come. You are? Elijah. What is it? Elijah. Elijah. Are you famous? You're about to be. Elijah, I'm not going to hurt you. Are your parents here? Okay, are they taking pictures? Elijah, here's what I need you to do. Step forward, young man. Put your hands out. There we go, you're getting there. Okay. All right. Now, at some point, what I, what I want you to do is, let's do it like this. Yeah, yeah, let's make this a bit more tempting. Okay. Now, I want you to put all your weight on this crutch. Okay. And then at the point you think you're going to fall, you want to catch yourself because I don't want you to get hurt. All right, you ready? Are you doing good? Is your weight on this? How much more? Can you get more weight on that? Are you come right up here to the edge there, right up there to that step? Elijah, you doing okay? Elijah, you, you go, you go, you go. Oh, all right. Give Elijah a hand. Did a great job. Elijah, I want you to know there's free popcorn for you in the back afterwards. All right. What did Elijah just do? Elijah put his weight on this thing, and then there comes a point where you're like, oh. When we use a crutch when we walk, what are we doing? We are putting our weight on it. It's got us. It's supporting us. If, if, the crutch, if the crutch breaks while your weight's on it, what happens? There's a belief part in Jesus, and then there's a part where you're leaning on him. All your weight's on him. You're not trusting anybody else. You're not trusting anything else. You know, I've heard it said that Christians have crutches. And for a while, I was offended by that. It's almost said in a derogatory way that Jesus is a crutch. And you know what, biblically? Jesus is a crutch. (laughs) Jesus is the one we lean on. Have faith in God. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Why are you so surprised, Peter? Do you not lean on God? If you were to lean on God, you could say to this fig tree or you could say to a mountain, be moved. Because, see, it's not about faith and faith. It's not about faith in my intellect. It's not about faith in my good deeds. Does Jesus love you because of all the good stuff you do for him? You think Jesus loves some people in this room more than others? Of course you're going to say no. But come on, in your heart of hearts, does Jesus love you less? Because you know you know you're a mess up. You know you don't bat a thousand. You know you don't come through. You know what you've said. You know what you've thought. You know what you've done. Sure, Jesus loves the rest of them. Does he love you? Does his grace and his mercy extend to you? Are you leaning on Jesus? Do you have faith in God? Not the intellectual head knowledge that's important, but is all of your soul weight on Christ? That's what the message is that Jesus wants Peter to get here so that I tell you the truth. 
if you were to say that obstacle. Because I think when it comes to the obstacles, to the degree that you feel like God is for you, is to the degree you have a sense of confidence that God will come through for you. But if you don't think God is for you, and if you're wavering in that, if you're just not sure you're good enough, you've done enough, you've memorized enough Bible verses, then you wonder, don't you? Will God come through? God knows I have this need. Will he meet it? God knows that that person I care about is going down a path that I don't think they should. I've done all I can, Lord, and prayer doesn't seem to be working. Isn't that what we do? Prayer doesn't seem to be working. As if it's the measure of the quality of your prayers rather than who your prayers are to. Have faith in God, Peter. I don't know if it's true. I heard about a church that called um, for a prayer meeting. Uh, They were in a farming community, and the drought had been for some time. And um, the pastor called for a 3 o'clock prayer meeting. And so he had half of his Sunday morning crowd back at 3. They were all going to gather to pray. And you know what the pastor did? He sent them home. You know why he sent them home? No one brought an umbrella. You ever ask God, but forget your umbrella? Are we praying for unity in the church? And we can't figure out why the church isn't unified when Jesus tells us to, as much as possible, be at peace with all men. Is the lack of unity God's fault or our fault? Interesting thing about prayer, isn't it? Jesus prayed, as Mike reminded us, that we would be one. And probably the most fractured group of people that meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings is the church. Because we fight over this, that, and the other thing. Because some of us are liberal and some of us are conservative by whether we wear a piece of cloth or not. The hardest part of moving mountains, friends, of the issues that you and I face is having the courage to ask and believe that God will answer. That we will speak to God about the mountains in our life. That it, and, we, and I have to be, I'm just going to speak first person. I've got to be convinced enough that if it concerns me, it concerns my Father. If it's a burden on my heart, it's a burden on His heart. And I am not somehow second class or whatever that He won't hear me. F.B. Meyer said the great tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but it's unoffered prayer. God hears our prayers that trust him. The issue may be he doesn't answer the way I want him to, but that's a whole other message, right? But I want you to know that he hears you. All right, we've got to get rid of the obstacles. We've got to lean on God. And here's the third thing that I think is interesting. I just, I, I am, I'm fascinated by the things that Jesus says. <laughs> so, big tree cursed. Temple overturned. Peter, have faith in God. 
If you were to say to this fig tree, have fruit, it would have fruit, Peter. You just, you've got to trust God. Oh. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Where does this come from, Lord? We're talking about doing really cool things, and you're bringing up relationships. See, we've got to be right in our relationships. If you want to see God move mountains, we've got to be right. And when we're wrong with one another, we can't be right with God. I remind our people that all the time. If you are wrong with others, you won't be right with God. Jesus said, hey, if you come to church and you realize somebody's got something against you, you know the best thing you can do is turn around, get in your car, go make it right. I've never seen anybody ever do that. Jesus said the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you need to forgive people as your Father forgives you because if you don't forgive people, then, then watch out. And I don't think it's like God's like, oh, you, won't, you didn't forgive me, I'm not going to forgive you. I think there's a sense in which we, we fail to realize the grace that we have received that we are forgiven people. And I won't extend to you the same mercy I've received. That's called hypocritical. You've received the grace and goodness and mercy of God, but you won't give it to somebody else? Why? Why? Because you were hurt? Because the problem with, I think, where we won't be right with other people is it's our pride. It's our ego. You don't think that you're in the wrong. You don't think your sins are as bad as the other person's. They hurt you. Well, have you ever hurt anybody? Well, that's different. Isn't that what we do? All day long, we do that. Are you right with other people? If a brother or sister wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask, are you right with them? Or have you thought thoughts in your heart towards what that person's like? I'm just asking a question. You're the one that's had the thoughts or not. We had a very mean political, and it affected the church. And as I'm fond of reminding our people, we, we have this mentality that I know the way that I voted, I know the way that I see life, and you know what I assume? You know what I assume? That you see life the way I do. Because we don't talk about that stuff, do we? It's just I know how I think. I know how I voted. I know we sit in church together on Sunday, so you must think, and it voted the same way. And lo and behold, if it comes out that that wasn't the case, whoa! I've, already, I've had it happen in my church. I had one couple leave Stonebridge, because in my words, I wasn't of their political persuasion enough. Weird where we've come to. If you stand praying... And you remember that you need to seek forgiveness or be forgiven. If you hold anything against anyone, you need to forgive him. You need to go to him. You need to, you need to make it right so that your Father in heaven would forgive your sins. Why? Because when we forgive, we reflect the character of God. I love what Mike talked about. That's, that's where the unity, we, we are a reflection of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Paul says in Ephesians, then in uh, chapter 4, verse 32, he says we are to forgive each other as we've been forgiven. Colossians, three times in four short chapters there, 
Paul just talks about that. We, we, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That Christ took the legal indictment against us and he nailed it to the cross that we might be forgiven. You want to know why there's not unity in the church? I don't even know. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I have no, if, if you guys got a problem with disunity, no one's told me. If God wants to impress upon this church that there is a great need for unity, but not just at liberty, but in the body of Christ, then you may have to go to somebody and offer forgiveness. Have you judged another brother or sister based on what they've said, what you've seen them do? That's called pride. That's called sin. That's called Jesus putting the finger on your heart and mind and saying, man, we need to go make it right. We need to forgive because it releases us from bitterness if we carry on the hurt. If when we refuse to forgive, we are the ones who end up hurt. I want to ask you, who do you need to forgive? What would you do if you knew God were for you? Would you be able to go to someone and forgive them? Would you be able to go to someone and seek forgiveness if you knew God was for you? I am amazed at what the body of Christ can do when we work together. I'm amazed that Mike asked me to come speak. I'll be uh, straight up. See, I'm non-denominational. We use, con- <laughs> we sing contemporary songs. Pastor David back there, man, we I, first week I think I I, I realized I, I got a pastor two doors down from us on our court. We were neighbors for 16 years. I don't think I ever, I know I never said this to you, but I remember, I remember when I came to the moment of saying, you know what? We probably wouldn't dot the I in the same spot. We probably wouldn't cross the T in the same spot. But he had a heart for God. I could see that. And he was my brother. And we may never, this side of eternity, sit and enjoy the same songs or speak from the same version of the Bible. I don't know. Man smokes a pipe. In my belief, smoking is evil. I'm just saying. Man. But you know what? There there are times when God has just like pricked me and said, but man, what's the bigger issue here, Mike? What's the bigger issue, Liberty? Do you want to be a factor in this community? Do you want to see God use your church in the lives of people who aren't coming to your conferences or coming to church yet? Then what needs to go? What do you need to jettison from your life and maybe as a church? What do you need to believe God for? What would your prayers tell me about what you believe God for? What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Or have you given up? Are there hurts that need to be healed by the grace of God? William Wilberforce was a guy that had an influential impact on the end of slavery, if I understand correctly, in Europe. Here was a quote. Um, It was by Charles Spurgeon speaking of Wilberforce. 
He said, not so very long ago, our nation tolerated slavery in our colonies. Philanthropists endeavored to destroy slavery, but when it was utterly, but when was it utterly abolished? It was when Wilberforce roused the church of God. And when the church of God addressed herself to the conflict, then she tore the evil thing to pieces. I have been amused with what Wilberforce said the day after they passed the act of emancipation. He merely said to a friend when it was all done, is there not something else we can abolish? That was said playfully, but it shows the spirit of the church of God. She lives in conflict and victory. Her mission is to destroy everything that is bad in the land. Disunity is bad in the land. It's clearly across our world. It's time for the church to rise up and put aside some of what I would say are petty differences that make not a hill of beans in the kingdom of God except to focus on Christ, that he loves us, that he's redeemed us, and that we are brothers and sisters by the blood-bought Savior, our Lord Jesus. Stonebridge, Liberty, Grace, any church that names the name of Christ is a friend of mine. And that's the way it needs to be. Father, I pray that you would... uh, Be with these people that love you. I ask that they might know know the power that comes from walking with you, Father. That we might experience a real spirit of renewal in our churches and in our hearts. That we might once again commit ourselves, Jesus, to you. To be the people you want us to be that you asked us to be from the very beginning, to be a place where those without God might find him. Oh, Father, would you protect this flock? Would you guard them? Would you guard their leadership? If there's any spirit here, Lord, that is not of you, I pray that you might uh, remove it. Lord Jesus, that this would be a bride, uh, a portion of the, the body of Christ, a bride that is just special and beautiful and attractive and winsome to the people that you bring their way. And we look forward to the day when we will, with one voice, sing your praise. In Christ's name, amen.